I am a fan of many rock bands. Sometimes one song is all it takes to ensnare me for life, but my loyalty is never unconditional. I think the idea of the fanatic is largely misunderstood. For a lot of bands, especially big-name bands who are used to having their asses kissed, fandom is thought to be unconditional, expecting one to be some docile zombie. But I'm not bent that way. I think it's dangerous when I see fandom displayed like that. True fandom ebbs and flows along with the band. To the outsider, watching two people argue over their favorite band may come off as mean-spirited and downright nasty, but it's only due to extreme passion for the subject in question. The last time Daniel Decay and I debated our favorite subject, the rock band Kiss, was six months ago on episode number 196. We debated what most consider their best album, Destroyer. Daniel argued for, I argued against, because I've never been a fan of the album. Our spirited debate was met with concessions from either side, but respectfully, neither one of us yielded. Daniel's opinion weighs heavy. Aside from being a rabid Kiss fan, he's a looming figure on Banger TV, making him the preeminent metalhead. Judge on Banger TV's Shredders of Metal, co-host of the Banger TV podcast, regular on the Lockhorns show. If his metallic media duties aren't enough, he is the lead guitarist in the legendary band Exciter and Diamonds. The man has his metal chalice filled to the brim, so he was a worthy opponent to debate Destroyer. I think we were both astonished to see the online reaction to the episode once it was posted. Most agreed with Daniel. After all, it is one of, if not the most beloved Kiss albums in the catalog. That's catalog with a K. But what surprised us was who reacted. People like Damon Johnson from Black Star Riders and Thin Lizzy, Tony Higby from Tom Kiefer's band and the East Side Gamblers, Marty Friedman, and even Ron Keel weighed in. To be honest, they all sided with Daniel, but it was a testament that KISS fandom burns long, hard, and deep. Joining the KISS army is like checking into Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. And to be honest, I've tried to leave the army a few times. In fact, until we did this first podcast together, I had quietly discharged myself. But talking with Daniel recharged my battery cell. I must admit, it was nice to check back in with Destroyer, even if I was arguing against its merit. It got me listening to other albums in their discography again. After we had wrapped up our debate, Daniel mentioned that Love Gun wasn't a favorite of his. I pricked up my ears at this admission, since it's in my top three favorite Kiss albums, and I knew right then and there we had another debate on our hands. This time, switching sides, me for the affirmative, Daniel for the negative. And it was a chance to mend fences. Over the years, I've been very public about my KISS fandom, but recently, you know, it's kind of soured for a variety of reasons I don't feel like going into here. Anyway, because I'm known to be a lifelong KISS fan, I'm often asked about the band when doing interviews, and only when something is perceived to be negative does it get picked up by online news sites and paraded around the hard and heavy world for all to see. Blabbermouth headlines where I feel Thayer and Singer should have their own makeup designs or how I'm displeased at whatever Jeans recently said have all helped contribute to the idea that I hate the band. 
Nothing can be further from the truth. So I'm glad I can publicly defend the band, at least here. I doubt that these assertions of mine will get picked up and reposted, though. Whatever the case, I think these album debates between Daniel Decay and I prove that you can enjoy KISS from a variety of angles. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to love everything they do. In fact, that's where the fun of being a fan of the band lies. Their missteps, even more than their successes, are what binds us as KISS fans tighter together. Here we go. This is round two of the KISS debates between me and Daniel Decay. I do enjoy doing these, and I hope Daniel and I can find more uncommon ground when it comes to KISS. Anything to get the chance to defend or lambaste the hottest band in the world. Here we go. Daniel Decay of Exciter is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Tango Joe's podcast is the best around They play the Guinness Tango School of Tello for free I'm so glad I like to sometimes Jimmy in from Fuck Joe Stop playing Hang Joe Joe It's the greatest podcast It's the The Danko Jones podcast is simply superb, splendidly fine, wonderfully wild, very divine. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts. <laughs> All right, Daniel Decay is back um, to debate. It's the only time he comes on this podcast is is to tell me that I'm wrong. Uh, last time you came on, we debated Destroyer, and I think we got a lot of great reception once it was posted online. To this day, I'm still hearing about it. Actually, just the other day, a good friend uh, from Banger Films came up to me and said, hey... Uh I heard your podcast with Danko talking about uh, Destroyer. I heard I, you were wrong. Yeah, he told me, he's like, that guy's nuts. That's the best record ever. He didn't listen to my points? <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little too schmaltzy for Danko is what we established. <laughs> yeah, but I think I, I think I had some good points about Detroit Rock City and God of Thunder. But anyways. That's, that's gone. That's that. Although yeah. getting Damon Johnson, Tony Higby, and Ron Keel in on this. Was pretty cool. Marty Friedman too. He Marty jumped Friedman. in on the party. Yeah, yeah. Marty Friedman. It was amazing for a while. This was getting a lot of traction. So I guess it inspired the two of us to come back and debate an album in the Kiss discography, not as popular as Destroyer, but still beloved by the Kiss Army. And we are now taking the opposite uh, stances on it. The album is Love Gun. I love it. Daniel Decay, not so much. Definitely uh, not in my top five, which was the comment I made on the last podcast that I think sparked today's conversation was you were like, that's in my top three. And I'm like, it doesn't even make my top five. Oh my God. Wild. You know, 
um, in reviewing it, I was right. This is in my probably my top <laughs> two or top three albums. Just going through getting prepared for today's talk. I was wondering if I was a little jumped the gun with you on that, but nope. No, it's a, an incredible record. Um, the thing is, though, I only have one copy. You, Despite the fact you're arguing against Love Gun... Yes, last night you showed me that you have multiple copies of Love Gun. I, I mean, I've only got four Love Guns, which is, which is okay. <laughs> I mean, that's not a lot when it comes to Kiss Records for me. I mean, you just, when you start traveling and you go to different countries and like specifically when you get to Japan, I see the Obi strips. I got to buy every Kiss record that way. You get to Germany or other places in Europe, you see the, uh, they don't use the lightning bolt S's, yep. so... Uh, I always pick up those copies and bootlegs. and Those are cool, though, yeah. Dude, I told you, one day you're going to come over and see the Kiss arsenal. It's, it's frightening. Yeah, I, I, uh, I look forward to it. Um, my Kiss fandom doesn't run that deep or that hard, but it is impressive. Uh, I have a copy of Destroyer, but, uh, you know, if I lose it, I'm not going to cry about it. Whereas if you lose, I, I'm guessing if you lose your multiple copies of Love Gun, you will shed a tear. I almost just brought them to give to you today, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Uh, Love Gun. It is the sixth studio album by Kiss. It was released in 1977. Uh, Like we did the last time you were on, we started off with the artwork. Again, Ken Kelly uh, took on the uh, album cover artwork, and I think he did a bang-up job. 150%. A hundred and fifty percent. Okay, so you agree that the oh, how could you not? Yeah, it's an amazing. Uh, I mean, it doesn't. I don't think a band could get away with the cover today if they, or at least they'll get some online hate comments. But I still think it's a great cover. It seems that Kiss have vanquished whoever was in charge, and they're sitting in where their throne was, and all the um, I don't know who they are. The the women of the of the castle are fawning over Kiss, or maybe they are ki- dead. I, I don't know. I love that the as the story goes, as Ken Kelly tells it, the first draft of the album was the same concept with women around them, but they were in a back alley about to go on stage with a single <laughs> light over their head, oh, right. and Gene Simmons looks at Ken Kelly and says, "Ken, this isn't Destroyer. We're a lot bigger now." Uh, we need to, we need to appear bigger on a big stage with big lights and big effects. So that was uh, that's that's the inspiration on the album is album art is Gene says they're larger than life at this point and he wants that to be shown. Well, I think it always made Kiss look like they were from Krypton, <laughs> right? It's a it is a weird looking stage. It yeah, is. the colors too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I love it as well. I, I I thought it was great. Another kind of comic book inspired album cover that you know kiss to me kiss were were a comic book come to life so this made sense to me so the first song the album starts off the opening cut is before before you jump into that opening cut i I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't at least address that this album also perhaps has the coolest insert of all the vinyl records right with the toy gun the toy gun now do you have the toy gun in your four copies uh i do so that the japanese copy uh that i have the gatefold pressing didn't come with the gun uh i think that it didn't align with japanese culture at the time to put out a toy gun okay but uh i've got the original american and canadian guns and i also have the uh 
uh, reissue, which is in 2014, they did a reissue of the record with, uh, with the all, all faithful inserts and order sheets. And I got to get that. Yeah, it's incredible. And you can pick it up at any modern record store today. It's just yeah. a re- the reissue from 2014. I love how you call them modern record stores. Yeah, not not used. I mean, Filled with reissues. Yeah, filled with expensive, yeah. expensive reissues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are for rich people. And Danko Jones records. Okay. Yes. There you go. I mean, yes, but I mean, we're we don't have any inserts to drive up the price. So, <laughs> um, okay. So the album starts with "I Stole Your Love." That's the opening cut. It's um, okay. What do you think of that? I'm gonna just throw it out to you right away. Um, a wise man once said, "I only criticize bands that I truly love." And that was Danko Jones on the last time we met for a podcast. So here we go. Uh, oh my God. Okay. I Stole Your Love is probably going to be the song on the record that I align uh, positively the most with. Okay. I, think, I right. think that it is one of the strongest opening tracks they've done on a record. Yeah. I think that riff is quite undeniable. And if I had to sit in front of a rock god like you and say that I didn't like that riff, I think that I would probably go down a couple notches on your ladder. Oh, yeah. This is definitely a song that decides... Who likes rock for real or not? Totally. And this is my Detroit Rock City. This is the song where I go, you should play this song opening every Kiss concert. This would get me every time. Not Detroit Rock City. I Stole Your Love. It's got even Paul doing a solo on it. Um... And and he's his vocals on this track are and there's a couple more on this album are both angry and very energetic. Mm-hmm. The best Paul performances, you know, in the discography in the hist- in the history, I think. His voice is almost uh, produced and mixed slightly different on this track to give that extra energy. I find I find his voice sticks out on this track. I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, from the 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 big scream, the all right in the beginning to those like vocal tags he does on the last chorus. Yeah. Uh, oh, it, I love it. It's 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 a great tune. Um, You're failing your test. It's it's Paul Stanley's take at uh, Deep Purple's burn. Is uh, yeah, is that's what's said. I, I read that somewhere. I should have listened Paul, to Burn. Paul after has it. said it. Yeah, he yeah, said that. He's fully acknowledged it in his book. Yeah. I mean, I I uh, I should have listened to Burn leading up to this just to see if it it aligned with what Paul's saying. But I mean, on its own, it's. It's it's amazing. Like right off the top, when Paul goes, "All right," like I mean, that's that just gets everybody ready to party. Totally. And uh, I would just say that it is a little rape, well, rapey or creepy in terms of lyrics. You know, uh, I stole your love, and then uh, ain't never gonna let you go. Right. That's the other one. Um, and he's done this before on other songs like "Making Love," where she says, "Stop, baby, go, go, go." I'm not giving Paul a pass here, but I mean, it's 2019. I mean, he didn't have a 2019 awareness. Nobody did. So uh, I take it as it is. If, if you're taking up lyrical issues with this song on the record, yeah. we're gonna have, we're gonna have a doozy later yeah. on. Yeah, oh yeah, I know. Oh, later on. I mean, <laughs> next. next. <laughs> but it's still uh, top five favorite Kiss songs of mine. Like, cool. I think Paul. I know Paul loves the title track uh, more. I think it's his favorite song. But this song is one of my favorite songs. And it, yeah, 
There's nothing that can be... Okay, so we're in agreement with I Stole Your Love. He- I love Heavy Kiss. How could I not yeah, love it? Yeah, absolutely. And they were right to start the album with this song rather than Love Gun. Um, the second track is Christine 16. It's a Gene Simmons song. Uh, it's It's got piano. It's a little poppy. Um, and what is your take on it, Daniel Decay? Um, well, it aged very poorly. <laughs> Um, I think it's a total, uh, I mean, Gene loves his songs about young girls. Let's not, uh, let's not forget, uh, going blind. Going blind, yeah. Um, this one is, uh, just as troubling as that. Um, I can't believe it was actually a single when it came out. That's, that's a pretty funny thing to think about too. And that, that's a, that shows you just, you know, how the times were. Nobody was really dissecting lyrics to the point where they were, you know, offended, you know, right. across the board. Right. Right. And if... The ti- and if the title of the song and the first verse and first chorus wasn't troubling enough for you, that second chorus is cringy as fuck, dude, with the talking. Yeah, the talking oh verse. Oh, my yeah. God. Like, why is he at the school? Why is he at school? Is he picking up his own 16-year-old child or is he just stalking this 16-year-old oh, right. child? That's never really explained. No, not, not at all. Yeah, it's, it's creepy. It's when he, I- like hiding in the bushes outside the school there. It's just a very weird, weird, weird part of the song. But... I will admit, this is one of my favorite songs in the Kiss canon. You like, I love this song. It's wild. so poppy. And so it's poppy. And Gene wrote this. And I'm so impressed that it's such a great, minus the lyrics, of course. It's a great song, whether it's Kiss or not. I love this song. So it, we're two for two for me. It's, uh, you, you don't find that chorus with the high-pitched vocal to be, like, really, like, lame. No, no. <laughs> like, I love totally it. lame. <laughs> no, I love it. Christy. With the little piano going in the oh, back. It's amazing. It's <laughs> oh, so, God. Something I think maybe that was left over from um, Ezrin's experimenting, them being, you know, exposed to the experimentation of Ezrin, mm-hmm. kind of leaks on this album, mm-hmm. I think, a lot. With the pianos and, and later tracks have soul singers on it like backing singers uh so i think the kissettes is that what they're that's called? what they go by the kissettes Whoa, i didn't even know that three girls Whoa. yeah um so yeah I, I i loved it for that and didn't eddie van halen play the uh yeah i think i believe eddie, eddie and, alex? and alex demoed quite a few gene songs yeah. on this album um and uh so the story goes uh the solo is written by Eddie and Gene asked Ace to copy what Eddie had done on that demo that they cut together. Right, and it remained a secret because no, nobody spoke of and it. No until... one knew who Eddie and Alex Van Halen were right. as well. Right, right, right. Um, but uh, another interesting tidbit that I came upon with this song is uh, Paul wrote the title. It's actually not a Gene Simmons title. Okay. Um, and Gene, Paul brought it to the writing room or to the jam space, and Gene uh, went home and wrote a song instantly called Christine 16, <laughs> supposedly to get back at Paul because Paul stole Black Diamond from Gene as a title. Really? Yeah, so there's this, uh, they've always been in competition with each other. Let's, yeah. you know, let's never forget that. It's a that. Healthy, healthy competition at times. At, it's kept them together for 50 years, so I'm yeah. not complaining. But yeah, uh, yeah it was, it's interesting. This it was a Paul idea that Gene took and... There's some original lyrics that actually were on one of the demo versions that are even greasier than uh, the lyrics we know today. They're uh, non-veiled references to masturbation and blowjobs and stuff. It's like oh, really wow. greasy. Jesus, Gene. Well, then, then Paul's not, you know, he's, 
kind of complicit in this. 100%. Christine 16. Still on Team Paul? Oh, yeah. No, hey, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would have, oh, Paul would have come to his senses before it hit the uh, second stage of the writing process for sure. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that. <laughs> All right. Third song in, Got Love for Sale. Uh, this is a, a Gene song. Um, well, okay, so what do you think? I can finally trash a song on the record. I'm really excited to just uh, say that this is not a good song. This uh, is not a good song. Right off the bat, this is a recycled riff, my friend. That is the riff from Take Me. Oh. Uh, 150% yeah. is a recycled riff. Uh, the lyrics are uh, outlandish. Uh, is Gina a gigolo? I'm trying to... Yeah, I was going to say, is Gina John? Yeah. I'm or just... is, she, is, is the John... The John is the person purchasing the sex. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right? It sounds like he's soliciting himself, though, yes. in the back pages. Like, yes. if you read between the lines, like, yes. he's... Yes. So, Gene's soliciting himself here. Um, the solo doesn't even really... Sometimes I'll hate a song, but since I'm a I'm an ace guy, I'll I'll go for the solo. But this solo really just sounds as if someone was trying to cover Ace Freely. It sounds like Ace Freely covering Ace Freely. It's very generic riffs he's used before. Um, I don't like this song at all. Uh, it's another Van Halen brother demo, by the way. Oh, okay. Uh, and the brothers uh, were on the demo. Yeah, and then in the final recording, Gene plays guitar on it as well. Like it's yeah, a, it's a Gene thing. That's right. He, that kind of made me think that he take he really loved this song, or maybe <laughs> Paul was just God. This sucks. Well, interestingly enough, it was never played live by Kiss, um, but Gene did it with his solo band in 2017. And uh, he really loves the song. The, the live rendition is not awful. I'm going to chalk it up to uh, his backing band being amazing. But uh, every time that Phil, the guitar player in his band, does the high pitch, oh no, uh, Gene looks over and smiles at him. He's like, wow, it sounds just like Paul Stanley. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but uh, can't stand the tune. It's really, really bad. Yeah. And he's, um, you know, he, he's asking in the lyrics, have you heard my fee? And the fee. We had to wait years to find out it's actually fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> the vault, the Chuck <laughs> Simmons vault, is fifteen hundred bucks. So, "Got Love for Sale" is actually a precursor to the Gene Simmons vault. Uh, okay, we've okay. So, like the last album, "Destroyer," there were two songs that I liked on it. Mm -hmm. So, reversing our stances and switching chairs here. There are two songs that I don't like on the album. And Got Love for Sale is one of those songs. Mm -hmm. So That's fair. And I mean yeah. I'm I'm the same way. I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and try and tell you that I you know I don't like uh I Stole Your Love. I'm not I'm not and maybe something else later in the album. I would yeah. never I would never pretend that they were bad songs for the sake of arguing. Right. When Kiss does does good, I'll tell you that Kiss yeah, has done good. Absolutely. And and we've come to the fourth track of the album. Okay, I'm 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 dying to know what you think of this one. This is my favorite Kiss song of all time. Wow! And I'm not even Team Ace, but when I was a kid and I got into Kiss, I was Team Ace. It's Shock Me, by the all way. All the way. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Shock Me. <laughs> For those who don't know the track listing yeah. by heart like we do, <laughs> uh, it's Shock Me. Shock Me. Um, I was Team Ace when I first got into, really got into Kiss. Like when I started to dissect albums and stuff, I was Team Ace. I. I I realized that Ace Freely was um, an overlooked member of the band and arguably just as good as Paul and Gene songs. And then you add his, you know, his soloing, his guitar prowess, and then 
I was team ace. Uh, over the years, of course, as we all know, I've talked about it many times on this podcast. I'm now Team Paul, but I still think Shock Me is the best song on the album, the best Kiss song, maybe Deuce is better, but that's still an ace song, and Shock Me, the guitar solo, which is 50 seconds long, is my favorite guitar solo in a song in all of musicdom. I am Team Ace. I'm very transparent about that uh, anywhere you hear me talking about Kiss. Um, so obviously this song, I, I, it, it, it affects me deeply, not so much because of the album version, but because of what it became live. Um, in terms of the album version, I can sit here and tell you with a straight face that it's not in my top five Kiss songs, as you might expect. Um, it's a lot slower than what they, the way they do it live. Um, Ace's vocals are like a little bit silly. This is his first lead vocal. He was very uncomfortable about the way he sang. Uh, there's the story that he sang the vocal part laying down in the studio with the lights off. Um, but I mean, it, it's hard for me to, to shit on an Ace song, but I, I do think that the live version really does this song the real service. On the record, it doesn't stand out for me that much, aside from that guitar solo, of course. Anytime I can hear Ace Freely play leads for almost a minute, I'm happy. That guitar solo, yeah, that is, that is my favorite guitar solo. I think maybe there's a Billy Gibbons guitar solo out there that can almost match it, but that, for me... Because I heard it when I was a kid, that's my favorite guitar solo of all time. There's, there's, a, there's a couple fast licks in the guitar solo where the note selection is incredibly important, but it's the way he articulates and, and phrases some, some stuff. It's not very typical for him up to this point mm-hmm. in his career. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, there are some, yeah, there are some licks where it's just, you know, Ace, Ace has a signature sound, we all know, and there's a couple licks in that solo where he steps outside of his realms of comfort, it seems, and it really pays off when he takes a risk. I will also say that uh, Peter's drumming, I don't know what it was, but maybe Peter was playing a little bit better on this track to help out his buddy Ace. But the drumming on this, and you know, off the mic, I do not care too much about Peter Chris's drumming. Not that I hate it, I, I just, um, I don't think it's, up to up to like you know Paul or or Ace's playing or Gene's voice or whatever it is, but Peter's drumming on this is amazing. Um, on Pete's drumming, I I totally understand what you mean and that uh, it could stand out as some unique playing for Peter. There's some cool uh, jazzier touches, especially in the chorus there, the hi hat stuff. But uh, I find his drumming to be pretty slow and almost drone like on the song. It does speed up after the solo when they come back in. The tempo increases, but um, it's pretty slow. I, my, my main issue with this track, as it keeps coming up, is how slow it is on the album but compared you, to how they do it live. Because you're used to the live. And yeah. I, 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 love the, I love the groove that they set on this album. So when I hear other versions of it, I'm like, that's ah, too fast. That's crazy. Yeah, I love the live version. The, uh, the, the, the guitar solo and the speed they played at, it's way, way more interesting to me than... Uh, this kind of slowed down album version. Um, but I mean, nothing beats the, the saving grace on the tune aside from the solo is the, uh, I'm down to the bell wire. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff is awesome. At oh, the I end. love it. I love it, man. Um, okay. So, okay. There it's shock me. Shock me is really for me, the anchor of the album. And then of course there's Christine and I stole your love, but this really, 
When I think of Love Gun, I think of Shock Me. Oh, that's the album that's got my favorite song on it. It shock. So. It, it's cool that Shock Me did really become like the signature Ace song. Yeah, I don't think they realized it in the beginning. I don't really objectively think it's a great song. Interesting. That's why sometimes I go, "Wow, they're playing it live. Like people like it too." Yeah, not only live, but like they forced Tommy to do it later in the career, yeah. and like it, it's been in the set list forever, and it's got the big solo section. It became Ace. Is it really that great a song? I don't know, but it's my favorite song. Interesting. It's that cool, induce. Cool story behind the song, getting electrocuted on stage and finishing the show. That's pretty badass if you yeah. ask me. I would have walked off, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally would. I would have been wrapped this show, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to a hospital. Get me a drink. I'm out of here. Uh, um, and that did happen to me. I did get shocked, but it was after the show. Microphone? I was uh, warming down my voice with this machine, and then it exploded in my face. And I, got, I had to be rushed to the hospital, and I was in shock for an evening, but, uh, and it wasn't fun. I know the state I was in, I couldn't play a show. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to. Um, but yeah, so I, I uh, You too had I a shock was, me moment. I was shocked. Yeah, I, shock me. Um, <laughs> Ice uh, Rail, a lead guitar. <laughs> Uh, the next song, Tomorrow and Tonight. It's a Paul song. Um, again, I think Paul's vocals here are angry and energetic. What do you think of this song? Total filler, man. Total filler track. It's They're trying to recreate the success of rock and roll all night. It's ironic because the song sounds like it belongs on Dress to Kill with the more bluesy approach to the riff. Um it's it's a relatable track, I guess, in the lyrics uh, with the like feel good end of the week party tune. But uh, dude, uh, the the piano in the in the guitar solo and the piano at the end of the tune, I don't know. So it feels like filler to me. It's I think that's Ezrin leftover Ezrin bits. Interesting. It's uh, it's it's it is total kiss schmaltz to me. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, okay, I'll give you that with the piano and then the soul singers and everything. And I think this might have like ignited or started something in Paul that he now plays out in Soul Station, his solo thing with all the uh, backup... Let's not talk about that. Soul soul dancing and soul singing and stuff. You're brave as a team Pauler to bring that up in front of me. Let's just leave that. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I think Paul's doing a really... He's following his heart, uh, doing Soul Station, I think it's called. And I think it's it's a great thing for Paul to do, and I'm I'm glad Paul's doing it. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I think this might be the nub of where this all started from, because it is, you know, very soulful for Paul, at least. I've heard this whole thing about trying to recapture rock and roll all night. I can't hear it. Really? I heard it on Shout It Out Loud. I, I don't hear it. I don't hear it. The lyrics are basically the same if oh, you really lyrics. break it down. Yeah, lyrics, sure. But yeah. I can't hear that that like rousing chorus that rock and roll all night is, or shout it out loud for that right. matter. I can't hear it. Because um, when I heard shout it out loud, I'm like, oh, I know what they're doing here. Whereas I don't hear that in Tomorrow and Tonight. I will say this. It sounds like this song could have been on the Paul Stanley solo album. It sits along right side like Move On and Wouldn't You Like to Know Me. Mm-hmm. Those songs especially, they could be like sister songs to this song. 
Yeah. Like, it, it's definitely a Paul Stanley solo album song. It's total Paul. And, on, like, it could sit on the Paul record, or I believe it, it could have appeared on Dress to Kill, and maybe I would think of it a little differently. It just seems... It just seems like too much of a throwback, hilariously, at this point in their career. Um, I, I think it's a filler tune. I don't like it at all. Uh, it's it's a total lift the needle and skip for me. Well, just like Paul, I love it. See, that those lines that he puts in these songs are amazing. Like, he does it on I Stole Your Love, and he does it here. So the whole vocal performance of Paul saves the song for me. And if it wasn't, then I would be probably in your camp Left Adrift. You heard it here first. Tomorrow and Tonight is the vocal inspiration for Danko's I'm in a Band. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It might very well be. Subconsciously. Yeah, very well might be. Uh, Never thought of it, but... That's why I'm here. You are totally right, because I say the exact same line in it. Uh Uh-huh. I didn't realize that until you just... I even... I even... I even sang it out in front of you just now. Literally. That's what that's what sparked the light bulb in my head, man. That's why you that's why you bring me here to point out these little yeah. things for you. Well, then I guess I I do love tomorrow and tonight <laughs> rather than just like it. Uh, I didn't know. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the title track, "Love Gun." It's Paul's one of Paul Stanley's favorite songs. It's his song. It's of course the anchor to the album. You hear it played in almost every Kiss concert, or if not every Kiss concert. It's almost a staple as Detroit Rock City and Rock and Roll All Night. Daniel Decay, what do you think of Love Gun? I swear the hate mail I would get if I said anything bad about this tune. Uh, so let's just let's just praise the song for this for this little segment. I didn't like Detroit Rock City. Yeah, I know, and you're insane. So uh, you you don't like Love Gun? No, I like Love Gun. I'm not going to pretend I don't. Um, I think it's there's a reason why it's been in the set, uh, the live set for so long. Um, it's a total classic, man. It's, uh, and it's all Paul as well, Mm -hmm. minus that lead guitar. He plays the bass, does both guitars. So to break it down to a musical perspective, I think that in the Kiss discography, this is one of the songs where the two guitar parts work together the best it's ever been in Kiss. This wasn't Paul writing a rhythm track and Ace writing a rhythm track and kind of mixing them. This was... Paul had a clear and concise vision of how the two guitars were going to work together. And throughout the whole song, it's incredible. Like, both guitars are doing something different at all times. And uh, I've always admired... Well, I used to cover the song in Diamonds. And uh, much of the chagrin of the other guitar player, I would sit down and be like, no, you're you're playing the second rhythm wrong. Uh, You got to play it the way Kiss does because you have to nail it. It's it's part of the song. Uh, I think Paul Paul had a a total vision uh, yeah, he, for the way this song was supposed to sound. Yeah. And that's why he plays all the instruments, right? Right. I've heard that about this song as well. And I heard that he wrote it on a plane in 15 minutes or something. Yeah, there's, there's I this... I read that somewhere. Yeah, it's, there's a story that he... Yeah, I think he says it in his book. He wrote, oh, um, he wrote it on a flight to Japan. However, funny, uh, Sean Delaney says that that is a lie and that Sean Delaney co-wrote on it. I've never heard Paul's rebuttal to that statement, but Sean Delaney claims... Uh, they were in New York City, and he co-wrote on the song. Oh. So we're throwing this out to Paul Stanley. Can you tell well, us? Can we get to the bottom of this, please? Well, Sean will never be able to re- rebut what so, Paul says. Anyway. So Paul's going to say whatever he wants. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, whoever wrote it, it is definitely Paul Stanley's song. Yeah. And um, obviously, when I first heard it, 
I heard it before I heard any of the other. It's it's taken from uh, the Hunter, Albert mm-hmm. King's Hunter. And when I first heard it, I didn't I didn't make any note of it. But when I heard Zeppelin mm-hmm. do how many more times, and yes. when I heard Danzig do the Hunter, his version of the Hunter, it was very reminiscent to me. And I didn't know where I where it was familiar, but. It, but now I know it's it, it, it's because I heard Love Gun first. It's just the lyrics, though. It's not any musical yeah. element of yeah. it, right? It's yeah, it was... No, no place for hiding, no place to run, you pull the trigger of my... Yeah, but listening... When I first got the Danzig album, I, I, I remember listening to The Hunter, and I just, I just kept saying, I know I've heard this somewhere. And it might have been because I heard Zeppelin mm-hmm. before the Danzig album or Love Gun. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, those three songs, how many more times... This Love Gun song and The Hunter by Danzig, there's something about each one of them that made me think that I've heard this before somewhere. Um, So there's that. But I will say this. Danzig doesn't need a love gun. In his lyrics, he goes, don't need no love gun. Albert King says he bought a love gun. And then Paul Stanley has a love gun. He is the love gun. So different uses of the word love gun. Um, and I thought Danzig was a big Kiss fan when I heard when I read the lyrics that he used Love Gun. I was like, oh, he's like totally referencing Kiss, but he wasn't. He was referencing Albert King, who wrote the original song. So this is actually deeper than it suggests because people think, oh, Love Gun, Kiss, what your dick, ha ha ha. But it's, right. there's so much more going on. Right. Which I love. I don't think Danzig likes Kiss at all, does he? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, definitely yeah, not. Yeah. I was just thinking about that in my head. Like, there's no, <laughs> no. way that Danzig <laughs> aligns with Kiss. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's so much more. And I love that about this song. Something that on the surface seems um, so shallow mm-hmm. and, and, you know, so puerile. But, no, it's steeped with some, some cool musical history. So... That's yeah. what I love about it as well. I, I like I like when things are lifted and and uh, paid tribute to. Uh, Kiss has done it numerous times with tunes, and Zeppelin's famous for doing it. And some people get all uh, you know um, upset about t- things like this. And uh, I'm 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 totally cool with paying tribute to uh, things that came before you in uh, the world of music, and paying tribute to the. The, the legends, if you will. Yeah, I, I love it. And Paul does it a lot, I think. Or at least he exposes it more than Gene does, I mm-hmm. think. And I on on my last positive point for Love Gun, before I get to absolutely destroy another song on this record, um, that that descending lick at the end of the ace solo that he repeats uh, on, on the out chorus, wow, that is, that is, man, that is ace at his best. I love, love that solo. Yeah, I can't argue that. That's a, the song is great. It's I think it's not as great as I Stole Your Love because those two to me are are brother and sister on the album. When I think of the album, I think Love Gun or I Stole Your Love. They're almost interchangeable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still love Love Gun. It's such a great song. They they were both used as opening tracks on the the following tours. Oh, really? On that tour, the Alive 2 tour. Yeah, it makes sense. The, it, it totally makes sense. Yeah, they, uh, they were, yeah they're interchangeable. I totally agree. They both yeah. got same same vibe. Like heavy Kiss. I like Heavy Kiss. Yeah, when Paul gets heavy, wow, I don't think anybody can beat him. In, in terms of like rock music, Paul, when he, Paul decides to get heavy, that's, I think, when he's 
at his best. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know what, though? When he's at his mellowest, he's pretty awesome as well. Like forever? Uh, no, like I know there's this uh, one record you really don't like, uh, but uh, I Still Love You. <laughs> I Still Love You is a bang and Paul tune. I know. You hate I, that song. I love that album. Really? What, Creatures of you, the I Night? I thought you don't like Creatures. Oh, I, I, that's in my top three. Oh, because I showed you my Creatures record last night and you were like, ew. Oh, oh just because of, of, oh, Bruce. Because of the cover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, okay. I don't like the cover. The cover should be the original cover. Yeah, oh, I like the have... alternate cover. It's just funny that Vinny doesn't make the cut. Yeah, that's weird too. Even totally though Ace weird. is on the original, Ace it's on so the weird. original and, and Vinny, Bruce on the uh, reissue. It's so weird, and and Ace is in the video too. It's a very love... weird. Yeah, uh, but no. Oh, okay, my God. cool. Just making sure. That's, Creatures. Yeah, it's one of the best Kiss records ever. But I still love you. Is not would would not. Would be the song that I don't like on that album. Interesting. I think it's an incredible Paul vocal performance, and oh, I yeah. love it. I'm li- I I listen to that song. I'm like, oh my god, is it over yet? Wow. Yeah. I, I like. But the that rest tune. of the album, great record, amazing, very and great then record. After that, we get into some albums that, like, lick it up to me is yeah, top three. It's an incredible record. Like, I get. I guess you get Creatures, Love Gun, Lick It Up. Maybe Dress to Kill in there, but those are my favorite Kiss albums. I love how weird of a Kiss fan you are. It's very yeah, cool. It's weird. It's, but it's super cool, though. It means you actually like the band. That's oh, what you, I enjoy. man, lick it up. Where is there a bad track on that album? There's not. There's bad tracks on this Love Gun album. Yeah, totally. And it's one of my favorites. And Creatures. But lick it up, not a bad track. Anyone who's into the entire Kiss discography, including the Unmasked eras, will, I think most will agree. You also hear revenge. You hear revenge and lick it up, or in are in people's favorite uh, uh, unmasked records. Right, but there's bad tracks on revenge. There's no bad track on lick it up. You're you're very right. I like the, I like that one. Hmm, what's it called? Uh, Exciter. That one's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> of course you do. Uh, because you're in Exciter. Something like that. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna get to the next song after Love Gun. It's. Peter Chris's only vocal performance on the album, it's Hooligan. And it's an old, I would have to assume, an old Chelsea song, because uh, Stan Penridge mm-hmm. has writing credit on it. Yeah. Stan Penridge writes most of Peter's worst songs with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, except for he has, he has one, I'll Let Him Get Away With, uh, on Dynasty, he has a writing credit on Dirty yes. Living. Yeah, I don't really like that song. I, kinda, I like it because it's so weird. Um, yeah, it's... I get it. It's a weird tune, but yeah, dude, uh, uh, Stanley Penridge writes all the worst Peter Chris songs on his solo record, on the Chris album, all that, and you know, Lips and Chelsea. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan. This, and is this the other song you don't like? No, I oh, love this song. God damn, I love this song. God damn, Peter's at his at his best in vocal wise. I love his vocals. Um, Ace uh, and to 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 compliment Peter, what Peter did for Ace on Shock Me. Ace is playing on this song, top notch. Yeah, he's playing good for his brother. Yeah. You're right. Paul yeah. has a solo on this song too, I believe. Oh, he does? I believe he has the out solo, yes. See, that's probably why I was like, wow, Ace is really hitting it out of the park. Oh, it's Paul Stanley? Well, there you go. This uh <laughs> oh, <laughs> this song blows, by the way. This this song blows chunks. This is an awful song. Oh, I love this song. Like, like, listen, I love Peter's vocals, trust me, but we've got lots of songs where we can uh, regale in Peter's vocals. We could listen to Black Diamond. We could listen to Baby Driver. We don't need to listen to Hooligan. Black Diamond was always too slow for me. It just kept going on and on. It's like, it's like, like proto, although 
Motorhead's <laughs> overkill, the way they keep going on and on, yeah, is amazing. It never ends. It's Free the drum best. intro. Yeah. It's the best. It's, 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 it's so amazing. That song is perfect. But it's proto that because uh, Black Diamond is proto that because it just keeps going on and on. But it's not called overkill. If it was, then I would give it a pass. Right. But Hooligan is awesome. Uh, Peter Chris is amazing on this track. Uh, I think it's pretty funny, the lyric that he dropped out of school when he was 22. <laughs> Well, that's pretty admirable. He's doing post-secondary. Good yes, for him. Yes, he was in university. Yeah, I think good he was, for him. He was going for his master's. <laughs> you got to give him credit for that. Um, yeah, they're just bad, bad lyrics, bad song. Stanley Penridge strikes again. I like, don't know. I won't, I won't say, I won't defend the lyrics, and I won't defend the song as, like, objectively the song, but it's like Peter Chris's vocals on this save the day. He's such an underrated singer, for most people who just look at Kiss and think, oh, that oh, that stupid comic book superhero band. But like Peter Chris is like a like a Rod Rod Stewart understudy. Ralph does not agree with me. Yeah, Ralph Ralph is totally <laughs> on uh, on my side in this argument. Um, on Peter's vocal, I will say that when uh, I met him, and the only time I've met him was at that London event that we were both at. Yeah. Uh, I shook his hand, and uh, I looked him dead in the eye, and I'm like, uh, you are my favorite singer in Kiss. And uh, he was very, I think I think that that was a compliment he did. He doesn't get every, I think he gets a lot of, you're the greatest drummer ever, you sound just like Gene Krupa, and you're my favorite member of Kiss. I think yeah. he gets that stuff all yeah. day, but... I don't think he gets enough credit for being an incredible vocalist. He's the best singer in Kiss. He is the best singer in Kiss. He is. And Gene Simmons is a really good vocalist. And so is Paul. Paul and, is and Ace finds his own as well. Like, yeah, yeah. They are, uh, it's, it's really cool. And this is the only record at this point in their career where all four of them have a lead vocal, which is pretty cool. It's a pretty cool record because of that as well. Absolutely. And then the last record that Peter drummed on every track. Exactly. Well. And there's no, aside from uh, Penridge, there's no outside writers on any of the original tracks. Right. It's all Actually, like Stanley yeah. Stanley, Simmons Simmons, yeah, which yeah. is cool. It's before they start collabing together. Yeah. It's uh, before they stop writing their own songs. It's, you know, before all that happens. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it's when they're the most pure. And I think Gene kind of liked it too, because having Ace sing on a track, they were closer to being the Beatles because that's his favorite band and he wants to be like the Beatles. Of course. So, yeah. Um, but that's shocked me. But Hooligan, again, is, 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 yeah, it shows that Peter is the best singer in Kiss to me. As well as... I don't get why you like it, though. You've, we've acknowledged that Peter's vocals are great, but you've also acknowledged that, like, the lyric... The lyrical content isn't good. That Stanley Penridge can't write a good song, and that you know it's just, it's, ho it's ho so hokey, man. Yeah, um, I don't know why either, but I, I love it just because I got into it when I was a kid. Uh, it, to me, it's oh, I can't think right now, but I think it's "Dressed to Kill," where Peter's got a song, and uh, it stands out on the album because of his vocals. And this does the same thing to me. It just stands out because it's like not Paul Stanley or Gene Simmons. Mm -hmm. For me, my like uh, weird Peter track, it's it's always been Baby Baby Driver. His right. vocals on that are incredible, and I mean, I'm I'm willing to acknowledge that the musical element of it doesn't align that much with what Kiss sounded like. But be, the vocals, that's my weird Peter tune. The vocals save it, man. Well, Hard Luck Woman, I think, is my favorite Peter performance. Mm -hmm. He destroyed that song in a great way. 
you know. Mm -hmm. If anyone is to question the validity of Kiss as a musical band, Mm -hmm. rather than like some comic book gimmick, uh, that song will convince anybody. It's a beautiful tune, yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on. Almost Human, written, performed by Gene Simmons. What do you think of this song? Doesn't get much more Gene than this, let me tell you. Uh, what is he? He's, he's a werewolf this time. Is that uh, is that is that what this song's about? It's uh, it's like one of those horror. Gene obviously loved yeah. horror and yeah. is into comic books. And this song is uh, classic Gene Schmaltz. I love really. That. I, I get to use that that <laughs> term this time. Um, really? Okay. Yeah, uh, I don't love it. I think that the pre-chorus builds with a lot of promise. That uh, like the the octave bass sounding thing and. It builds, and then I just lose it. That chorus is brutal, man. I can't stand that almost human chorus. Yeah, you don't like the choruses that have, like, backing high, backing vocals. It's I don't mind backing high vocals. It's when the backing high vocals are the predominant first vocal, and it's slow. And what's with the congas, man? Like, I, I can't do it, dude. I can't do this tune at all. Man, I'm not even on Team Gene. I love this song, man. And I'm surprised you don't like it. Because, yeah, because the lyrics hearken to, you know, his character is like some sort of monster, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The song is equally heavy. Like, it's it's kind of more metallic sounding than all the other... It's darker than all the other uh, songs on the album. Like with that ace, uh, the the ace, or it could be Paul, the, the guitar. Okay, okay, okay. On the topic of the guitar, we're talking about how Ace treated Peter's song to a special treatment, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Peter treated Ace's song to a special treatment. I think it speaks for how Ace felt about Gene, the way he treated this guitar solo, because uh, it sucks. It's uh, over. It's like way too like oversaturated with effects. It doesn't make a ton of cohesive sense. It's like backwards. It's like a backwards loop at times. Um, I don't know what those effects are. I, I wanted to try and find uh, the studio... Uh, notes. I'm sure it's in a reissue somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. It says what they used, but man, I don't know. This is uh, not a good song. This like that weird. I don't think the chorus is heavy at all. It's like groovy and got congas. But and... I love those those high end vocals that are kind of uh, lazy. Sure. Like, I'm almost human. It's like demons. It just you know like hazy, drugged out people. I was I was actually going to say mention drugs for a guy who claims he never you know did drugs in his life. I think Gene might have been on some of that seventies dope at that point. Yeah, like it sounds really druggy. It like totally the, does. The backing vocals, especially, and we got to acknowledge that Gene's bass playing on this track. I mean, if Ace uh, if Ace upped his game on Shock Me and Peter upped his game on on Shock Me, Gene and Paul taking over Love Gun, Gene took over this song. Like the bass playing on just the opening bass. When it intros itself, like, and for the rest of the song, it's amazing gene playing. I I, I actually think that you can uh, say that about the whole record. Almost. About the whole record, uh, yeah. I find the bass on certain songs is mixed very, very loud. Um, sometimes it's clean. Sometimes it's got some grit on it. Like, they really... Uh, the, it's not often that the bass is so prominently featured in yeah. Kiss. Oh, we didn't even say it during Love Gun. Like that is, you know, one of the greatest bass performances Gene has. Um, this song, as well as uh, Got Love for Sale, has some pretty cool bass stuff. You know, like there's the bass stands out for me a lot on this record, and yeah. it's mixed very loud. Yeah, 
And I guess I heard it more on Almost Human than the other tracks, but that pre-chorus, boom, 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 like it's all you hear is bass. It's, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's I love it, and and so that's why I love this song a lot. They played it live once, you know, recently or or just yeah, on the yeah, tour? like in, in the last uh, ten years, they did it on uh, one of the early Kiss cruises. Oh, good, because because it is worth hearing. I love it. It's great. I love this song. And then we move on to Plaster Caster, another Gene song about Cynthia Plaster Caster, a known character in rock and roll history. She did uh, casts of of rock people's dicks, um, most notably Jimi Hendrix and Noel Redding and... uh, It's funny, after she does the two dudes in the Hendrix band, (laughs) she like really starts scraping the bottom of the barrel that's what i was gonna say i know it's like it's like a road managers and and booking agents it's like pretty funny the bass guy to fog hat like nobody they only describe her with Jimi hendrix in the same breath yes exactly but then when you dig deeper on cynthia Plastercaster, that's it i know it's it's she really knew what she wanted too i think she she came out and said um kiss wrote this song without ever being casted and she was not interested in casting them at all. Yeah. So it seems like she knew what she wanted. She didn't just go for rock stars. It's pretty weird, man. It's, yeah, it's weird. And then I guess her name got around because later on there's, you know, Jello, Biafra. Yeah, I was going to say Hendrix, Hendrix and Jello were like, I think the two for yeah. me that are the most relevant. David Yao from the Jesus yeah. Lizard did it. But Wayne other, Kramer did it. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that one. But other than those guys... I, I found myself skimming the list because I'm like, wow, these are literally nobodies. Yeah, like if there was another couple of guys like Hendrix, like, mm-hmm. oh, she did Pete Townsend, and or yeah. then you know she would be more of a figure to have a song written about her, but I don't know. I don't know why she's known for casting rock stars' dicks when it's literally only been like three, rock, <laughs> three <laughs> actual rock yeah, stars. Yeah, really. But you know, Gene, he, he probably heard about it and... Thought it would be a great, sexy song. What do you think of this song? All right, here we go. This is my Gene Simmons redemption tune of the album. Wow. Um, wow. It is my Gene redemption tune on the record. I think that uh, I will, full transparency, I think the unplugged version really is why I fell in love with it. But looking back and re-listening to Love Gun... That bass in the beginning, back to the bass, that bass in the beginning and just the the classic kind of rock and roll kiss, like simple kiss rock and roll riff. Um, there's just something about this song and I like the chorus. I know it's it's a little bit cheesy and bubblegum, but, you know, it's not droney or high pitched like that. It's kind of fun. It's has there's a lot of um, changes. I don't know. It's a, It's not a bad song in my mind. I think this is a total Gene Redemption tune on the record. Well, just like Destroyer, uh, Do You Love Me, and Flaming Youth were the songs I liked, Love Guns, Got Love for Sale, and Plastercaster, I can't stand these songs. Interesting. I find it crazy that you'll take Plastercaster all over like Almost Human and Almost Hooligan rules. and Tomorrow and Tonight. I can't believe you like Hooligan those songs. Rules. But uh, I can't I, believe you like those I tunes. I will concede <laughs> that the intro to Plastercaster is great. I wish they wrote another song after the intro. Because once the intro's over and all like that buildup is over and they kick into the song, mm-hmm. I'm gone. I like it. There's got like cool, there's really cool changes in that song I found. And I like where the vocals go. No, I, um, I, I don't like the chorus. The chorus is kind of stock to me. 
Interesting. Almost Human is like, I'm almost human. It's wicked. It's so spacey and weird. I love it. It's almost an ace thing, really. Yeah. I'm almost human. You know what? Maybe if Ace sang it, I wouldn't hate it so much. Right. Because you're Team Ace. Um, I find it really funny that you don't like this song. And it's like, oh, well, maybe if Paul sang it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's this is why we do this. We have such different opinions on a band that we both admire so much. <laughs> yeah, I can't stand this song. I can't Weird. stand "Got Love for Sale" and and "Plaster Caster." And here I here I was thinking I would be agreeing with you, like, oh, here at least there's like a song that I can no. one of the less popular tunes that I can say I like that maybe I'll, I'll align with Danko on, but no, not at all. It's just uh, I stole your love and, and shocked me that we agree on. I guess so. Love Gun. Love Gun. I mean, Love Gun is just. I mean, if you're if you don't like Love Gun, you don't like Kiss. Yeah. Well, then people would say that about Detroit Rock City. I know. That's why you're it's nuts. Terrible. For, but I think I felt like I almost turned you around after we no. we talked about it extensively. No, no, all right, you're still pretending that you don't like it. That's, that, <laughs> no, that's I cute. Can't, I can't stand it. Although I did like the uh, the, the double, solo the double it's guitar, like yeah, twin guitar attack, twin. man. Yeah, but no. So is that that's the end of the record? No, there's one more. Then she kissed me. The cover. Oh God. The uh, Crystals 1963 cover uh, produced by Phil Spector. Obviously. Just by the oh god that you let out. Yeah, how could I forget such a memorable track? How could I forget such a memorable tune? I always loved this song at the end, listening to it as a kid. I always loved it. However, there is no wall of sound. If you're going to cover Phil Spector without the wall of sound, it really means you got to, you know, make sure that it's still really good. And thankfully, because of Paul Stanley, it's a great song. Uh, this is the kind of song where I listen to and uh, I'm like, why Why does this exist? Was this a record label forcing them to do something they thought would be commercially successful? Maybe. Was maybe. this someone in the band uh, was just super attached to it and everyone else wanted them to drop it, but one guy wouldn't? Like To me, this is um, a total unnecessary song. Uh, apparently, it started out as as a joke, actually, at a, at a sound check. Just, oh. In, in Scandinavia, yeah, they were they were just messing around, and I, I believe it kind of snowballed from there. Um, I don't like this song at all, dude. I always loved it. It was always like a very catchy, of course, bubblegum song. It kind of bookended Christine 16 for me, because Christine 16 can be can be said is like a bubblegum type of song, but it was an original. And so this was Paul's kind of version of, of you know, a bubblegum song. And, and uh, I thought they did a great version of it. It, it kept the album really light and bubblegummy and poppy. And uh, arguably the last time, you know, the last, last gasp that they ever were something like this. And so to me, the way it ends is perfect. Wow, I can't stand this tune at all. This is like, that's why I I totally forgot that it was on the record because I'm pretty sure that after Plaster Caster, the needle comes up and I just put it back on the shelf. Wow, no, I love it. I loved it. And uh, that's really the, the way, that's how I liked how the album ended. It ended on such a bubblegum note. I'm like, yeah, this is the way it should end. It's very poppy from beginning to end. Even the angry songs are catchy in that way. Uh, angry songs, but hard songs, I mm-hmm. should say, are catchy in that way. Love Gun, etc. But uh, yeah, I love it. I, I found it interesting how many times this song has actually been covered and have the lyrics re- reworked to be from a male perspective. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It, it's it's not uncommon. Like it, I believe it, 
it's you would consider it somewhat of a standard in in that regard, but uh, totally unnecessary. Kiss did not need to do this. Uh, for me, it's like uh, it's like just one of those things where the record label is like, hey, we need we need something on the record that we can sell to people who aren't going to like the rest of your record. But but was it serviced as a single? I don't even know if it was. Is the funniest part about it? Yeah, I don't believe it was. Christine sixteen was. Uh, you said that. Yes, Christine sixteen. That makes sense. Christine Hooligan was also a B side on the uh, on the forty five as well. Oh, a B side. Yeah. Yeah. Still, I that's mean, like the throwaway track off the album. I yeah. Guess. They should have put "Got Love for Sale" or something. Yeah. But that's it. That's the whole. That's Love Gun. That's Love Gun, and this is our second round. Of these kiss debates, um, the kiss debates got to continue. I mean, the fact that we got Marty Friedman, Ron Keel, Damon Johnson, Tony Higby, I feel like we're leaving out a couple more guys. Totally, that, there were so many more. Yeah, that threw in their their opinions on Destroyer. I can't wait to to hear what the rest of the Kiss Army thinks of what we think of of Love Gun. So. I'm, I'm excited for people to get mad at me. I think you you took a lot of heat last time yeah. for not liking Destroyer. I think that perhaps I'll, I'll take some heat this time for not liking Love Gun that much. Um, but I remain, I said it last time we were together, I said it's an all right record, not in my top five, and the B side is significantly weaker than the A side. I still hold my stance that Love Gun is top three favorite Kiss songs. Uh, Kiss albums in the in the Kiss canon, uh, that's canon with a K, uh, and uh, I, I, I hold I hold steady with that. Um, now, we doing this together. Mm-hmm. You now we'll talk about Daniel Decay for a while. You have started up your own podcast through Banger TV. Yes, since since we last saw each other, I now have a podcast. We uh, were officially so it's interesting uh the way that the format with banger works we uh release content uh that's pay content through a patreon campaign uh, which is patreon.com slash banger tv um and we also were we decided that we gave a whole season away to the patreon subscribers you can get involved for as little as a dollar and we have 10 episodes in the season um, but recently we've started putting out those full episodes uh, on youtube as well and it's a video podcast they range from 30 minutes to an hour, like all good podcasts, and uh, it's myself and Blaine Smith co-hosting, and we talk to uh, all sorts of really cool guests, and uh, I encourage you to check it out if you're into rock and roll and heavy metal and just nerding out like we just did for the last hour. And uh, you also uh, just posted season two of Shredders of Metal, right? Yes, Shredders of Metal 2 is live on YouTube on Banger TV. Um, check it out. It's awesome. Alex Skolnick from Testament, Ben Wyman from Dillinger Escape Plan, um, Sam Dunn, our founder at Banger Films, and uh, a lot of really talented Canadian guitar players. And it's uh, it's a fun watch. It's an easy watch. It's only seven episodes. So I encourage you to check that out as well. Thank you. You're plugging all my stuff really well, dude. Thank well, you. I, I love Shredders of Metal uh, season one. Yeah. I saw that. So I, I got to catch up and watch season two. But uh, yeah, it's really cool to... to uh, you know, it's got it's basically American Idol but heavy metal version, and it's great. I love it. Absolutely, we uh, we felt that there was a big void in the competition show market for uh, metal in general, and specifically guitar. Why isn't the guitar the guitar should be more celebrated in the competition world? I think. Now that I'm talking with you about this, are you are you guys thinking of doing like 
a heavy metal singer version. So it's actually been pitched to do uh, <laughs> like a, a, a pounders of metal for drums and a slappers of metal for bass hmm. uh, and then a, a growlers of metal for uh, for singing. Oh, and yeah. There's so many ways you so, can approach that. Right. And, and we would take the winners from all the seasons and uh, they would start a band together or something ridiculous. <laughs> this, was, this was something that was pitched. Well, you know, like if you can sing uh, Skid Row's uh, I'll Remember You, mm-hmm. You, it's kind of like American Idol always used that Whitney Houston song as the as the template as to whether or not you can you could you, you can, can cut you, it you can cut it. So I would put Skid Row's "18 in Life" or uh, "I Will Remember You." Basically, if you can sing like 21 year old Sebastian Bach, you're cool. <laughs> oh my God, get this guy a record contract. Um, but then. Like you said, there's like death metal vocals and black metal vocals. So many different ways to approach metal singing. That that's something interesting. There's been a couple like heavy metal type singers that have gone on American Idol, and uh, they only make the like gag reel. It'll be like some guy shows yeah. up and does like a death a metal joke. singing. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, oh, what? Well, I'm like, wow, that guy's really really talented <laughs> and clearly clearly has a band. And then you know, it's like they turn him into a parody. Yeah, yeah. But that guy probably has toured probably farther and wider than, you know, the the winner or the runner up. Yeah, and will have a a longer music career than yeah. the winner, as <laughs> as we know. Yeah. Unless you're uh, one of the three that have made it huge in the music world post American Idol. Don't forget, there's like 20 other seasons of singers you've never heard of. Yeah, right? exactly. Well, I think that would be great because like a lot of people, <laughs> I'm always saying this. Nobody understands the singer, and and just except for Rob Halford, mm-hmm. uh, I've heard stories about Halford, and I go, yeah, exactly, Rob. Um, just how much discipline you need on the road to be a singer, and it would be interesting to attack it from from that end. Um, and speaking of being on the road, whew, you are a very busy guy. You are in Exciter, yes, and Exciter are touring their balls off. Yes, we're. Uh, in 2019, 2020, we will play more shows than the band did since their original lineup reunion in 2014, which lasted until 2018. Um, so already in one calendar year, we're going to do more shows than they did in four. four and it's very exciting for me. It's very exciting for the other two guys in the band. And uh, I have an amazing team working with me to really bring Exciter back to uh, the forefront of that, you know, that speed metal scene that they really helped originate. And uh, I'm so honored to be the dude they chose to help them do that. It's been, dude, it's been crazy. You're like the reason that people are starting to find out about Exciter again. I do. That means the world to hear that. And I actually got a pretty funny compliment from a, a mutual friend of ours the other day. I showed up to a show and he said, God damn, man, you've become just like Danko where one minute I see you posting you're in Germany and the next day you're at a show in Toronto. So <laughs> It's true. It's true. It's true, man. It's the lifestyle. Uh, and you're also in Diamonds. Yes. Uh, and But Diamonds right now isn't touring. No, we are uh, a little bit dormant right now. We have one show on the books for 2020, which is the Monsters of Rock Cruise. Now, that that's a great cruise to be on. Absolutely. Right? Love, doing, love doing the Monsters of Rock Cruise. We did it last year, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to do the 70,000 Tons of Metal and the Kiss Cruise. So, I, I, you know, I don't hate being out on the water in... Uh, the middle of uh, of the ocean and surrounded by rockers. It's not a bad place to be. So uh, very lucky to be doing that gig with Diamonds. 
But uh, everyone else in Diamonds is so busy. Uh, Priya's working on a solo record in LA right now. Oh, wow. I've got Exciter uh, and the drummer and bass player are two incredibly talented people. They've each got like four bands and, you know, it's tough, tough to get together. But uh, we still love that project and we do it as often as we can. I wore CeCe's shirt on stage the I know other you week. Did. Yeah. Uh, so he, he makes these great shirts and I wore the Much Music Power Hour shirt. When I sang with Volbeat at yeah. Knotfest, and so, yeah, there's a little bit of diamonds on stage there. That that was fun. I've n- <laughs> I've never seen standing side stage right before you went on. I've never seen someone so calm when they were about to go sing for fifteen thousand oh. people. Oh yeah, well I was actually pretty nervous because I thought didn't show. Yeah, Toronto was Toronto's always been weird for me, especially you know in a, in a in a place like Knotfest where, you know, people want to see Slipknot. And it's mm-hmm. all, it's kind of like a Slayer crowd, right? They just want to see Slipknot. So knowing that, I was a bit nervous, but came off really well. Got a, got a big enough cheer where my ego was satiated. <laughs> but yeah, I saw you like literally less than a minute before I went on stage. I know, you, you just came up to me, you took out the, the in-ear and you're like, uh, next song, next song. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. It's too bad you guys weren't on stage for that. That would no, have been I, cool. I went out front and filmed it though. I thought I thought that'd be cooler for you. Than, but you guys uh, were, yeah. There, there's all kinds. But you guys were on side stage for Slipknot. Though. Yeah, I did side stage for Slipknot, and then uh, it was actually uh, Corey invited uh, the Banger Crew to come down to the show. We did a review of the record, and uh, didn't even give it like a smoking hot review. Just gave it a what we thought was an honest, good review. And he reached out and thanked us and said, "How many tickets do you need?" and he made it a point to come down to see us side stage in makeup before they played. And then after the show was like, no, like, make sure you come by the bus before you leave. And we ended up sitting there till one in the morning with him, just telling stories. That guy's a great storyteller, a really good host. Um, so thanks, Corey. That was like a really fun show. And I hadn't seen Slipknot in years. They put on quite the uh, quite the performance, man. That right. was crazy. Well, I mean, speaking of Corey Taylor, I think he's one of the best vocalists in in heavy music, and I've actually seen him sing Love Gun. Oh, cool! Yeah, it was for the Dime Bash uh, during Nam nice. in L.A. Uh, they came out and did covers, and that was one of them. And I was super impressed at how well he pulled that off, and I didn't miss Paul's voice at all listening to their cover of it. He's super versatile with his singing. He yeah, uh, like though I mean his metal screaming is incredible yeah. and i mean you know defined a whole era of new metal yeah really for a lot of people yeah but uh then you hear him in other projects and like stone sour so sorry he's amazing in it and uh he does a, he was on that dave grohl project um they do a song together called What's uh that? from can to can't i believe is the song title what project? Not Probot. No, no, no. The uh, the studio sessions where he has like Rick Nielsen plays guitar on the song. Corey Taylor does vocals. It's like a Dave Grohl does this whole record. I'm being a fool. Not Teenage Time Killers. No, 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 no. That's that's a cool one too, though. They're both on that. Oh man, I I, I got every song has a different different set of guests yeah, on it, yeah. and everyone's on the record. Everyone. I'm surprised yeah. you're not on the record. I would love to. Make an album like that. Yeah, just have all your friends come down and yeah. sit in a legendary studio. Yeah, and just like, yeah, a revolving door of like awesome people. Yeah, imagine playing on a track with Rick Nielsen. That's like pretty much the coolest shit ever. Yeah. Dude. I mean, Probot, when it came out, was one of my favorite favorite albums. Great record. It's amazing, too. Yeah. So he should do another one, too. I agree. But anyways, you are... Uh, 
on tour with Exciter. Yes. You are online with uh, the Banger TV podcast yes. and Shredders of Metal. And you're going to you're gonna come back and debate me again on an album that we got to figure out we both have differing views on. Yeah, let's uh, maybe we should take this conversation to Twitter and kind of see see where people align with us after this chat and let's let's pick another one, man. You like Crazy Nights? Yeah, I don't not not enough to do an hour on it. Yeah. Cuz I don't. <laughs> I don't think you like Unmasked either. I I like Unmasked. You do like Unmasked? Yeah, right, I cool. Do, I Just do. making sure. All right, all right. Just making sure. No, I like Unmasked. Uh, the Elder, you like The Elder? I do, but not enough to do an hour on it because I'd, f- I'd feel like an idiot uh, defending it for an hour when half the people listening to this podcast didn't even know that was an album that existed, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, I don't like that album either. But I mean, It's got two killer tunes on it. It's got three actually killer tunes on it, yeah, hilariously I mean, enough. Like, yeah, like every, like Destroyer. Like, like abnormally good songs. And I like Under the Rose and I like... Uh, I, I yeah. and um, sure, but the oath, dude, that song's heavy. But there's some real stuff you gotta get Mr. through. Mr. Blackwell's okay too. <laughs> I don't mind that song. So are we doing it? <laughs> no, we're not doing the elder. Um, That'll really color us as kiss nerds, won't it? That's okay. I don't mind. But we'll figure out an angle to debate on something that we both have differing views on. Yes. No. It, you know what? There's so many places we could go with this next. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, till then, uh, you got to come back, make your third stop on the podcast, and join the Black Coffee Brigade. Love it. I, I, I'm a card-carrying member of the Black Coffee Brigade. Come on. Come <laughs> on.